Hello and welcome to the T4D Discussion Series. I'm your host, Michael Badger, and this week we have with us Dr. Dan Van Voris. Dr. Dan is an adjunct professor and he is also with the 1517 Ministry, which provides theological and apologetic resources to Christians around the world. He is also the host of the Christian History Almanac podcast, which I 100% recommend you going and checking out. Dr. Voris is a Christian history expert and he sits down with us to talk about the importance of the Protestant Reformation and what the Protestant Reformation has to teach us today. We hope that you enjoyed the discussion. All right. So I gotta I, I do need to start off by saying you have one of the coolest names that I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. So uh, it's Dutch and it rhymes. So I guess Dan yeah. Van Voorhees. Am I pronouncing it right? Uh Dan Van Voris, yeah. Voris. Oh, okay. So yeah, I, I got Voorhees. <laughs> it was in my brain, but yeah, hey, that's awesome. Cool. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh like well, where you're from and all yeah, that kind of sure. stuff. Uh, well, I'm coming to you from Orange County, California, and I'm originally from here, and I've, I was a professor at Concordia University in Irvine uh, for about a decade, um, and that was after I got my PhD in uh, history at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, and kind of wounded, uh, wounded, uh, winded my way around and uh, ended up back here in Orange County teaching. And for the past three years, I've worked for an organization called 1517. And 1517 is, you know, I, I think we're a, we're a parachurch ministry in the best sense, in that our, our goal is to make things and give them, um, give them away at cost or for free. Mm-hmm. And we've been charged, whether it's helping pastors with sermons or whether it's uh, our podcast network or, um, you know, any number of things we have, basically we, we're resources for the church. So I get to write, uh, I do a daily podcast and write a weekly article, uh, at 1517. So they, uh, they keep me busy. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I actually, uh, heard about you guys through, um, I think it was actually Instagram. I saw, uh, one of your, uh, podcasts, just happened to randomly pop up and I started listening to it and uh, I I don't want to get it uh, wrong is it it's called the uh, church almanac is that is that yes it's yes it's called the Christian history almanac yeah that's and, it okay right. and uh, that is my show that's my daily show yeah and it's just a five minute I'm gonna give you two stories and then a reading of a poem or uh, prose that you know is uh, pertains to the gospel so, right. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's, a it's wonderful. Yeah. You do it, an amazing job with it. So people listening, oh, check it out. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. Um, so I guess it's safe to say you're, you're a history buff. You, you love church history and all that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. Yeah. I mean, my, my real beginning into history was when I, when I decided not to go into the pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. I, I still studied theology and I still wanted to do something with that. And so reformation history was just kind of a natural transition. So to take my knowledge of, of sort of the theological side of it and then put it in its place historically, and then from there I moved into uh, mostly American history. Uh, but my kind of first first love was, uh, and it is still, Reformation history. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's a perfect segue into uh, the main thing I want to talk to you about, which yeah. is the Reformation. Um, so just... 
bare bones, what what was the Reformation? Just to, to kind of start out with the beginning level of things. Yeah, in a very basic level, uh, the Reformation was an attempt to curb the medieval abuses of the church. So it was an attempt to curb and to kind of recreate the church. It was also a revolt against the church and especially the elite in the church. So you have two different strains in here, but it's, it's people in the beginning of the 1500s who have seen this medieval church that used to be you know, the center of everything and collected so much power and you know, just kind of became decrepit, became corrupt. Mm. And so you have a number of faithful sons of the church who try and call it back. And this goes back as early as the 1400s and, and heck, the 1300s. You've got people saying, you know, we've got to get the Bible in people's hands. We've mm-hmm. got to, to preach, you know, Jesus and not, you know, we've, we've got to resist taking uh, temporal power. And mm-hmm. so, you know, people have done that. Jan Hus is a guy who did it. And Wycliffe, who people are, are sometimes familiar with because of the mm-hmm. Bible translators. And then Luther. Uh, is kind of the big name. And he starts out saying, I want to stay in the church and, mm. and change it. When, it. when it becomes impossible, uh, then it becomes a revolt. Mm. And frankly, when it becomes a revolt, it becomes very popular because people love, you know, especially uh, medieval peasants with a bunch of time on their hands. Right. You, hey, have a revolt and they're going to join. So you, you always want to kind of play with it as both a theological movement and a social movement mm-hmm. in an attempt to reform and, and bring renewal to the church. It, it then, once it becomes a revolt, it, it does sort of the typical Protestant thing, which has become typical of us, and that is it breaks off into a million different directions. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, you know, at that point, I have to start calling it the Reformation's because there are so many, and they're regional. And this little event that starts in Germany, which is you know the Luther event, we're called 1517, my organization, because 1517 was the year that Luther pounded his 95 theses uh, mm-hmm. to the, the church door and said, let's talk about repentance. It, you can't buy repentance. Repentance is an internal change brought about by the gospel. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of all one thing, but then it's going to England and it's going to Switzerland and then it's coming to the new world and it's going to the East. So what starts as an isolated incident becomes uh, really global. Mm -hmm. So what was that, that uh, catalyst that took it from being just, uh, because I think that is one of the misconceptions is a lot of people think that Luther started off the Reformation. One that it started off with Martin Luther and didn't have these predecessors like, uh, like Jan Hus and all those guys. Um, but what was that catalyst that, that took Martin Luther from just wanting to reform the, the church from the inside and stay within the Roman Catholic Church to actually starting this entire you know, Protestant uh, yeah. protest against the Catholic Church? Well, yeah, he, he was uh, excommunicated from the church. That's that, I mean that, that was it. the break right there, <laughs> and you know he had had put forward these ninety five theses, which were really an attack on a practice that was pretty popular in the Middle Ages of being able to buy indulgences for the forgiveness of sins, being able to pay for the forgiveness of sins, and and so Luther says no, that's not the case, um, but there's already things going on with the empire and the Roman Empire, and this is happening in northern Germany. 
they're already seen as dangerous. They don't get along with others. When someone starts rattling, you know, the, the foundations, uh, their first, well, historically, that's when you get killed, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what happens. You, you rattle the foundations and you get killed. Well, it doesn't happen that way, partly because Luther's far away. Um, and also because he had, he had some backing on his side, his, his elector was his backer. So it was, you know, there's always this tension. Uh, but when, when Luther officially is told, you know, you cannot teach against these indulgences, um, he, he's a, a papal bull, a uh, big fancy note comes out from Rome and he's uh, executed or executed. He's not executed. He's excommunicated. Uh, right. Big difference usually. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, and then you said there were just to, I guess, tease that out a little bit more. You said there are reformations. And, yeah. and again, that's a, like a, I think a, uh, a misunderstood or not, maybe not misunderstood, but just a little known fact that, that yeah. these like small pockets of, of different reformations were all happening kind of yeah. almost simultaneously. So can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Maybe the one specifically in, uh, that a lot of people know about uh, when in regards to um, uh, John Calvin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things when we talk about the um, what kind of kicked the Reformation off and why Luther wasn't killed or, you know, why did this one have legs? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I forgot a very basic reason, which is the printing press. The printing yeah. press is about a half century, and it can old, and it can make cheap print quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, you not only do you have Luther, who's able to write in the sort of popular tongue, he can you know sort of get his message across, but he's also working on his very street where he lives with a very famous man named Lucas Cronach, who is the king of of woodcuts and flyers, and so they're able to get uh, popular level and academic theological works out. And they don't have to rely just on word of mouth. Now, because of that, as, as people tr- are traveling for, for trade, ideas start to spread. And they start to hear about the revolt in Germany. And they don't have to just take someone's word for it. They can actually read what Luther's saying. And so as people are, are traveling back and forth or, or because of plagues or having to move, there's just a, a general uh, uh, you know, lack of, of standing still by a, a lot of Europeans. And so as they just happen to be traveling and trading, they're picking up these cheap works, which can now be published, now be printed, and these ideas spread. Now, almost immediately, uh, Switzerland picks up on this idea of reformation because Switzerland has always, always been its own thing and they are proud to be their own thing and they are not like the rest. And they'll <laughs> make sure you know that if ever you're there. Right. And um, they think, well, this, is, this, is, this sounds good. And there's a guy named uh, Holdrick Zwingli with a Z-W-I-N-G-L-I. Mm-hmm. And he is similar to Luther in that he wants to reform the church. And when he sees what's going on in Germany, he gets excited. He gets very excited. And in the Swiss cantons, you start to see the Reformation, these Reformation ideas uh, take hold. Now, the very basic level of the Reformation is just um, uh, sort of against the authority. So it's got to have more to it, against the authority mm-hmm. of uh, the Pope. And so they decide they're going to put their authority in Scripture. Sola Scriptura is the great cry. However, the problem with that, and I say that as a man who believes it with all my heart, is you start getting different interpretations. Right. You start getting different people saying, I think this is the main emphasis, or this is the main emphasis, or even worse, 
we agree on the main emphasis, but we can't on other things, so we can't commune together. Right. And unfortunately, right. The, the spirit of the Reformation, and, and it goes from Zwingli to um, Geneva, and John Calvin is actually a Frenchman living in mm -hmm. France, and there's these all sorts of tumult going on. So he hightails that there out of there because he wants to be a quiet scholar his whole life. And he happens to be traveling through Geneva as they're hearing all this Reformation stuff. And they say, we want you. And so he feels like God has called him there. And he sets up his own little utopia in a way in Geneva because the Swiss cantons, they rule themselves. And so Calvinism kind of grows up in Switzerland alongside the Reformation in Germany. At the same time, you have a number of scholars uh, who are working between England and Germany. And so you get this kind of triangle with England, England and Scotland, we'll say, Germany and Geneva. And we can just trace people traveling back and forth and, and kind of helping each other to interpret and, and sometimes writing confessions of faith together. But we're still dealing with the problem of language. And so there's a Swiss... Um, confession of faith, and there's a German confession of faith, and there's an English confession of faith. And so that starts to also divide the church. Mm -hmm. So individual interpretation of the Bible, regional, nationalistic reasons, um, these are the reasons why it splinters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that the church has been trying for 500 years to undo some of that, but I think it's 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 a, a curse of the fall in many ways. Um, yeah. You know, it's almost like Babel where, you know, just spread it. And, and I say this as, as a Reformation Christian, right? mm -hmm. as, as a, someone who believes yeah. in these doctrines. But as a historian, I've, I've always been taught that our job is to be critical. Mm -hmm. And so to look at it and say, wow, this was a great thing. And look at these, uh, unfortunately, all these things happened. So, uh, I mean, there are just, and then Eastern Europe gets in the, and then, I mean, then the New World, of course, within a hundred years, you've got that and an ocean between, you know, churches and authorities, and um, it becomes a, a, a fun mess, but a, a mess. <laughs> right. Well, it's good to look at history with that critical lens because, I mean, if you don't, then you can't see the problems and you can't see uh, ways out of the problems or how to avoid the same issues that they did have when it comes to those those splintering things uh, and all that. Um, so you touched on it some a little bit with like Sola Scriptura, but um, were there things that I guess for the for the most part, I mean, of course, there like you said, there are things that they they never could agree on. I was, I was when you were saying that, I was kind of thinking of of Zwingli and and Luther when they couldn't agree on yeah. like the Lord's Supper, and yep. because of that, they couldn't they couldn't you know, join forces, basically. Yeah, that sounds yeah. kind of crazy to us right now. Yeah. But, uh, but for them, I mean, they took it seriously. Yeah. Um, but so are there things that, that the reformers did agree on, like tenets of theology that separated itself from Roman Catholicism? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's where does authority lie? Mm -hmm. And that's the main question. Is it in a guy in an office or is it in the word? And now there are ways of the guy in the office and his followers, Catholics, saying, of course it's the word, but we need an interpreter. And the guy in the office is the interpreter. And the Reformation all agreed, everyone gets to interpret. Everyone gets to read. Um, it's, it's handy that the you know, printing press was just invented and literacy is going up. Um, but it's a question of authority. And the Reformation 
is, is, is a replacement of one authority for the other. So I think that's one place where they can agree. So sometimes we hear that as sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's these other solas that, that we talk about, a sola fide, that we are saved by faith alone, sola gratia, by grace alone. Um, and so I, I would say that, that that is something that all stripes of Reformation Christians have in common. When it comes to the nature of the sacraments, that's where there's some disagreement, right? And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, Zwingli and Luther um, over the Lord's Supper, but with baptism, this was a big thing. And then what's mm-hmm. happening at baptism? So once we move outside of grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, we start to see disagreements. But those, those scripture, faith, and grace alone, that's what really brings all of them together. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of going backwards in time a little bit, too. Yeah, so uh, you also mentioned that the Reformation, it wasn't just theological, but it was also kind of like this, uh, this social element as well, or yeah. this uh, you know, political element. Yeah. So what was the, I guess, the relationship between the Roman Catholic Church and, I guess, the, the politics of the day and age, and what effect did the, the Reformation have on that? Yeah. So the, the history of the Middle Ages is the history of the Pope versus the Emperor, because at this time, Europe is what we call the Holy Roman Empire. And so you've got an emperor and you've got a pope. And these guys, since about the year 800, when a um, – I always get this wrong – when a king or an emperor crowned a pope, that was when they came together. And mm. that's when they really started fighting. And so you've got from 800 to 1500, it's who's, who's actually in charge, temporal authority or ecclesiastical or church authority. Mm-hmm. So as that's raising up, as the pope is losing his – authority because of the Reformation, as people are, are attacking his authority, there's, they see this as an attempt to kind of uh, flex their freedoms in other ways. And so we see the beginning of the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire. And, you know, the, the papacy and the empire aren't really ever going to join forces against the reformers. They do once or twice in, in isolated wars and they win. <laughs> But one of the reasons the Reformation is able to kind of think of a third-party candidate. You've got an emperor versus a pope, and they, they're fighting, and then here comes the Reformation, and it just slips through uh, as the other two kind of do damage to each other. So that's, that's one of the, the stories. It just, it's so different everywhere you go because, of course, in England, I mean, England is as you know, loyal to their king as anyone, but they're also very loyal to the pope. And so when the king, Henry VIII, says uh, no thank you to the Pope because the Pope won't uh, annul his marriage, then the people are torn because now mom and dad are fighting and which one do we follow? And Mm -hmm. so by and large, they follow uh, Henry VIII. And so that becomes its own. And that's why uh, politically and theologically, the English Reformation is just kind of one thing tied together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, that's that comes out of that. Awesome. Uh, so you also mentioned that you are an American history buff as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you see the, the the Reformation, I guess maybe, how, how did it, how, let me see how I want to word this question. Um, with the founding of the United States, do you see the, I guess, the touches of the Reformation on that as well? Yeah, you know, if, if we look at the Reformation as sort of, you know, 1517 to... Uh, you know, if you go to 1618, that's mm-hmm. the beginning of the Thirty Years' War, and everything kind of starts to look different. So you've got this sort of century of the Reformation, 
1620 is when the pilgrims come to the New World. And so it really – and so the people that are coming to the new world are steeped in the Reformation tradition. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the, the Mayflower, before it came from England, came from the Netherlands. Okay. And the Netherlands were a place of religious toleration, especially for the kind of Calvinists that uh, the pilgrims were, that many of them, either them or their fathers, studied in Geneva. And then you have Geneva to the Netherlands, which then became a hub of reformed, and then they come to England and shoot off to the New World. And so the, these characters are absolutely Reformation characters. Wow. Um, now, when we get to the Founding Fathers, you have kind of a – you have a mix between like deists and very, very what we would consider liberal Christians mm -hmm. and then Reformation Christians, mm -hmm. you know, kind of Calvinist uh, it's just not everyone, which sometimes that sure. story is told. It's just a, a small number of them. Uh, but the faith of the New World is the faith of the Church of England mm -hmm. under Henry VIII, as informed by Geneva, where a lot of these people studied. So wow. it's that first, you know, the, the colonies are, um, are, are really just Reformation thinkers. The, the books that are being sent over and the books that are being published in America are by Luther and Calvin, and that's that's their bread and butter. Wow, and is that where you start seeing uh, the Puritans come in uh, when yeah. it comes to that? Yeah, I mean the Puritans, you know, the Mayflower, those those are, are Puritans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a Puritan was someone who, well, that's its own story, but a Puritan is someone who wants to purify the, chur the church, especially when it comes to worship. And so you've got to get rid of the bells and get rid of the incense and get rid of all the, you know, the things that they have. Uh, I mean, that, that comes out of Geneva. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Geneva, Zwingli famously took an axe to an organ because he thought no church music. If you go to Calvin's church in Geneva today, it's, if you're used to European churches, it's nothing like that because it's just whitewashed. There's nothing mm -hmm. there. That was that's the Puritans. So they're coming right out of that world and then to the new world. And the Puritans are, you know, about half of the people. Uh, the other half are going to be congregationalists. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, you know, basic kind of Anglicans. And so there's always going to be a little bit of a, you know, is it a congregational church or is it a, um, a reformed church? Mm -hmm. um, reformed usually either being Scottish Presbyterian or Dutch reformed. Mm -hmm. um, Scott, Scotland was uh, another John. John Knox was a student in Geneva who then went to Scotland and set the Reformation off there. So uh, there's so much connection uh, in the beginning of the early modern period. And then everything in the first hundred years of the colonies is, you know, just a, an ocean away, but a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. So do you see now, um, I guess, a maybe a, a renewed interest in the Reformation? Um, it, it, yeah. To me, it seems like maybe like here, because I'm, I'm smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. And, yeah. uh, and so just the, my immediate context, it seems like there's just seems to be just a, a new fire lit for the, for the Reformation period. So I didn't know if it yeah. was the same, same for you out there. Yeah. You know, I, I think it helped uh, 2017 being the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, right. you know, 500th anniversaries always kind of get, you know, a little, a little bit more. And that's right. our organization started well before 2017, 
but we had 2017 on, on our minds when we named ourselves 1517 because we saw mm-hmm. the 500 year come up. So I, I think the, the 500th anniversary uh, really kind of um, gave it a, a, a kick. But it's, um, it, it is a field of study that is so rich historically and theologically mm. that we can, we can sort of use everyone's tools. Uh, and society was so blended with church and state theology and, and what's going on socially that there's just a lot of room for historians to, to kind of pick an interest and go. So it's, um, you know, probably not great for job security but <laughs> in terms of everyone, you know, a lot of historians, uh, sure. but it's, um, you, you know, it, and to understand America, you know, yeah. I, I, I taught an American, my U S history class this morning at the college and <clears throat> was making references to, you know, King James, of course the, King James Bible comes from King Mm. James of Scotland, who's influenced by John Knox, you know, um, everything seems to, to lead back to 1500, uh, and thereabouts. So it's, uh, it's fun to see other people get interested and excited as well. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. Um, and I'm, again, I'm kind of going back in time again, but, uh, you mentioned the, the politics thing again. Um, so when it comes to Luther and, you know, Zwingli and, um, uh, and Calvin, did they write more than just on theology? Did they also touch on like politics that, that like you said, like historians and, and people yeah. who are into political science can look back on and, and kind well, of absolutely. see had the influence on, on the states? Yeah, it, it does. Um, you know, the, the issue is they're still under an empire. Mm-hmm. They're still under monarchs. And so there's not a direct, so even the things they do write that are political, um, are of interest, but we need to step a few, you know, a little bit away from them before we sort of make direct contact. Um, but I would say that, you know, uh, all of them are living on the edges of the empire, you know, in, in the Swiss cantons, uh, in Northern Germany and Saxony where Luther is, I, I think the kind of chief thing that comes out of the reformation politically with regards to church and state is Martin Luther's doctrine of the two kingdoms. This idea that it's not one kingdom, right? The Pope and the Emperor don't come together and we live under, you know, Christendom, which was what they used to call Europe. You know, Europe was Christendom. And Luther's saying, no, it's it's not that. There's there's a civic authority and then there's a, a church authority. And the church authority is Christ, not a, a man. So how do we live in both? And then Calvin writes on that as well. And so that becomes kind of the, the really interesting, how do we extract ourselves uh, not only from the Pope, but from the King or from, you know, the, uh, the emperor. Mm-hmm. And that's going to, you know, the Puritans are very interested in that, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's going to, uh, and then when the, the founding fathers, when, when that generation is happening and they're trying to put together the, the constitution, James Madison, who is uh, no, no standard Christian at all. <laughs> when I say that, I don't even think Christian and he's a deist, but right. he, you know, writes the constitution and in his notes, he talks about Martin Luther and Luther's two kingdoms. Wow. So he's referencing Luther, you know, that many years later because they were seen as, yeah, this is interesting political stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's awesome. So I guess the last question that I have for you is that if someone was was coming to you and they, they had no real knowledge of the Reformation or they may even be an unbeliever and there's, there's one thing that you wanted them to learn from the Reformation, uh, what would that lesson be? I know that's a, that's a tough one. That's, that's a lot of things. It, 
it marks the beginning of the modern age. Mm -hmm. And if you want to understand anything, you're, you're going to see most things today have their genesis in this movement that is theological, political, social. It is a radical restructuring of life. Mm -hmm. um, and if we want to understand the present, we've got to understand the past. And this past is especially important because it, it's the beginning of so many things. So, you know, you can't, you can't uh, argue saying you shouldn't know the first, uh, you know, the first event. So uh, that's Absolutely. what I'd, I'd say, the first event of the modern age. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. Dan, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this. This was a fantastic interview. And, and thank you so much for just taking the time. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, very happy to do it. And, and you know, your listeners uh, can check out 1517.org. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then that's where you'll find my podcast, the Christian history almanac, which is, you know, part of me just trying to get other people and especially Christians into history. Yeah. And so to kind of, you know, in short little stories, five minutes, Hey, here's, you know, four minutes, six minutes, here's, here's something fun. So, uh, I hope you guys can uh, check that out and, uh, and, uh, let me know what you think. Absolutely. Well, I highly All right. recommend it. So thank you so much. I really All appreciate right. it and hope to do this again sometime soon. Fantastic.